0: What's up, Dialed fam? Welcome to episode 159 of the Dialed Health podcast. My name is Derek Thiel. I'm the owner and head coach here at dialedhealth.com, which is strength training for cyclists. And today we get to sit down with Russell Finsterwald, aka Finsty from the Specialized Off-Road Team, to talk specifically about his preparation coming into Leadville and also the changes he's made at the start of the season that's really led to some huge success, like winning BWR in California at the start of the year. And let me tell you, he does not hold back with the details of information from the changes he made in his training, specific intervals that he's doing, how he's training for altitude, things he's done in the past that have and haven't worked. And throughout this conversation, I feel like not only did I learn a ton about Russell, but I feel like I learned a ton about just training and training from the pro perspective of someone who's really doing it. So I hope you guys gained the insight that I did. And if you love the episode, please stick around till afterward where I tell you about my next writing challenge. I have finally committed to a monster route that I can't wait to break down the details with you. We're going to do separate episodes and content specifically for it in the future, but this is the announcement, people. So stick around to find out what I'm getting into in just six weeks time. Lastly, I'd like to ask you to please leave me a rating and review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. It could be Apple, it could be Spotify, but either way, it's a great way to show our popularity as a show. You can also screenshot that you're recording to the episode, post it to your Instagram story and tag myself and also Finsty. I'll make sure that his Instagram handle is linked in the description. So thank you ahead of time for all the support. And without further ado, let's dive into the episode. Russell, thanks for joining me on the podcast.
1: Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me on.
0: I really want to dive into your Leadville preparation. I think that's probably the most relevant thing going on right now, and you are in the thick of it. But I want to keep this somewhat chronological and jump back to the start of your season, because I know that you made a lot of changes at the beginning of your season, and they seem to work because you came out hot with a win at BWR in San Diego, California. So what were those changes that you made at the start of the year?
1: Yeah. You know, um, I've been doing this bike racing thing for a long time, I guess. Um, Basically, since I was 18, I've been racing professionally. Um, And just kind of, I reached this point in my career, I'd been with my past coach for um, nearly 10 years. And I think he was a great coach. We worked really well together. Um, But I just felt like I was ready for a little bit of change um, and a little bit of different stimulus. Um, More so just to like, keep the training fresh and interesting. I've always found like, when I'm having a lot of fun on the bike, I seem to get my best race results. Um, And I just thought some fresh training would really um, give me that perspective of um, having some new stimulus and just having fun on the bike. Um, So yeah, changed coaches. Um, I think that really helped a lot. Um, In a lot of ways, I think what I'm doing is fairly similar to years past, but it's just like a small twist. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. I think I've been doing a lot less intensity and a little bit more volume, which I think I've responded pretty well to. Um, Can we go into detail
0: on some of that real quick before we go into the other aspects of it? Because if you don't mind giving some specifics, how much have you decreased the intensity? Is this full on your zone two guy for most of your workouts or are you hitting tempo and not just doing as much over threshold. What What is that change in intensity specifically?
1: Yeah, I guess the best way to show it would be kind of run through like a week with um, what I used to do. Um, so I think a lot of what I used to do is I'd do two days of intervals back to back. Normally, they'd be more or less the same interval type of intervals. And then I would jump into two days of volume after that. Typically, after that would be kind of a four-day block. And then I'd get two days rest and kind of repeat it. Um, I think what I'm doing now is I seem to do a lot more volume. And then when I do have interval days, they're really focused and they're really hard. Um, so like I'll do three by 15 threshold intervals. And the goal is you just do as much power as you can, and then you get a rest after that. So I think for me, it's, um, I think what I used to do is I'd just have so much intensity that I wasn't focusing so much on like peak performance for each interval day. It was kind of like do the work as best you can do it again tomorrow. And you just build this load over time. Um, Whereas now I've focused more on almost treating interval days like a race day, um, where the goal is you just go out, you do as much power as you can. And that's that. Um, So I think it's almost more of a different mental approach to intervals. um, And I think that's worked really well for me. It's kind of motivated me a lot more when I have interval days, instead of just having a bunch of them that just kind of like loads and wears on you. It's, um, when you do have an interval day, it's, you're kind of fresh on the intensity aspect of things.
0: That's really cool to hear. And I've never heard of someone grouping their intervals and their uh, volume days back to back like that, where it's two interval days followed by two volume. I've always seen, and I have a very limited knowledge on this side of the sport, but I've always seen people almost alternate those. And that's kind of been my approach going through it. So it's interesting to hear that you did that for so long in the past. And so now when you have these interval blocks, uh, that are like the three by 15, how much time is between these intervals? If you're doing more volume in between or not specifically on the interval day, but how many days are in between the interval days?
1: Uh, for this last block, it was pretty much a full week in between interval days. Um, Whoa. in between, yeah. And in between there it was filled with a fair bit of volume, um, I, I like using group rides, um, for training stimulus. So there'd be a couple group rides in there. So still getting intensity that way. Um, but yeah, probably about a week apart for actual focused intervals.
0: So you're getting intensity with group rides. And so are you, are you jumping on the shootout? Are you living in that area? You're not living in Arizona, are you?
1: No. Um, I do Tucson about six months out of the year. Um, okay, I, I head back to Colorado Springs. That's my hometown. Um, and I spend about six months of the year here. So pretty much as soon as it gets hot in Tucson, peace out, come back to the mountains. And then once it gets cold, head south.
0: <laughs> nice. So that, yeah, that's good to hear that you're doing some intensity through group rides, because it seems like that's typically the city limit sign sprint or the one designated climb, or maybe there's another sprint along the the route. Uh, so you're getting that intensity. It, but when you say like a fair bit of volume, I feel like you need to be specific about that because... A relatively speaking, you're comparing yourself to the best riders in the world. So what's a fair bit of volume for you?
1: Uh, uh, typically it'd be about 30 to 35 hours of riding in a week. Yeah. So, That's honestly,
0: that's honestly more than I thought you were going to say.
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I guess, yeah, my volume week for Leadville, it was 31 hours. Um, a lot of the weeks for Unbound, I think we did two back-to-back 36-hour weeks. So um, yeah, I volume tends to treat me well it's what i have the most fun doing so i'm glad to have a lot of that in the training program these days
0: when you're doing that volume are you, how strict are you about the training zones at that point do you have strict don't go over zone two days or do you have days that are or is it a little bit looser zone two zone three kind of back and forth
1: yeah i mean it's Kind of a little looser. I mean, sometimes like when I was up in Crested Butte doing this last block, um, some of the climbs are just so dang steep up there, like you're forced to kind of ride some zone three for a while. Um, But yeah, for the most part, like trying to stay in that zone two, upper zone two range, um, just because when you have so much of that stacked up back to back, if you cook yourself on the first day riding too much zone three, and you can't do the rest of the week, it's kind of pointless. So Yeah, just really focusing on staying true to yourself and not like overdoing it so that you can push through and do the whole block, I think is pretty important.
0: And I think there's a misconception that zone two is kind of an easy day because when you stack on the hours, if you have a very uninterrupted ride, which would be ideal for zone two, let's just say, and let's, let's also add on the fact that you're going to be at your upper zone two. So you're one standing effort away from bumping into zone three, which is, I'm always, you know too aggressive on or you hit a headwind and you're trying to keep your cool but you don't want to be going <laughs> 17 miles an hour you know so it's like uh it, it, i think there's a misconception of how easy that is but if you're putting in like a 5 hour zone 2 ride your legs are probably feeling it i mean i know for me if i go for more than 2 hours pretty uninterrupted you start to get a little uncomfortable like how do you feel toward the end of a, a more of a more volume ride like that
1: yeah i mean it's one of those things i'd say it depends every day is different um but I'd say a lot of the times if you've nailed it, um, in terms of pacing the last 30 to 45 minutes, you should definitely feel some fatigue building up in the legs and, um, starting to get excited for that recovery shake at the end. So, um, yeah, it's definitely one of those things you feel it towards the end.
0: Okay. You just said recovery shake. I saw you immediately after unbound drinking a recovery shake. What are you drinking?
1: Um I use Never Second um so their P30 chocolate recovery mix. Um and after something like Unbound I um I think I tripled the recommended dosage I guess just cuz that's such a big effort and I knew I wasn't going to have food or dinner for a while. Um so yeah, I threw down a lot of Never Second P30 there.
0: <laughs> that's rad. Is it just a whey protein mix or does it have a high carb aspect to it?
1: Um that one is more of a protein mix. It doesn't have a ton of carbs in it. Um so I'll Typically at, um use like whole milk or something, even though that has a lot of fat, it has a fair bit of carbs in it also. Um and that's what I mix it with.
0: Beautiful. That's just like so good after an effort like that. Yeah. And just cool that you rides. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's great. So you started this training. Um I got my kids screaming in the background. Wow, it's aggressive in there. Sorry about that. <laughs> <No> worries, um, <laughs> I can't hear it. Okay, good. <laughs> so you started training with your new coach and Uh then was that right in January? Was it right when the off season started? Like, I'm kind of curious as to when you started feeling the effects of this different style of training.
1: Yeah. So I made the change basically. Yeah. January 1st. Um, And pretty much right away. I think a lot of the training was pretty different. Um, And I think I look back now, my first race was BWR Arizona. Um, and I wouldn't say I felt super amazing there for whatever reason. Um, still had a decent day. I think I ended up fifth, um, but just kind of didn't feel great. And then a little bit, I was like, oh man, what did I, what did I do? And then just trusted the process, kept sticking to the training plan. And, um, yeah, once BWR California rolled around in between those two races, um, I really noticed that I felt a pretty big fitness boost, um. And really, I noticed that just by looking at my power meter, I just noticed I was riding in the 400 power range a lot more, just seeing 400 a lot more often. Um, typically, I think like my threshold stuff was like upper 300s. Um, so, yeah, on the group rides, doing intervals, just saw 400 a lot more and it's like, oh, maybe I'm riding pretty good. And then, yeah, I went to BWR California and I had, had a great day out there. <laughs>
0: You did. It was so exciting to watch. I think that was the first race of the year. I had some legit FOMO at, or or for FOMO from not being there. Uh, But I watched it really closely on their coverage uh, through the Instagram. And it was so sick to see you charging up. uh, What's that last climb called? Uh, Double peak? Double peak. Yep. Yeah. And it it was just insane to see how strong you even looked visually toward the end of the day. When you came into that race, did you, did you really feel like you're going to win that day? Like, what were the vibes besides, Uh, besides seeing the 400 more often?
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, um, I thought the course suited me really well. Um, BWR, California was my first gravel race back in 2019, I think. Um, and I was third there kind of surprised myself a little bit. And since then they've added even more single tracks. I was like, okay, this course suits me pretty well. Um, double peak is definitely a gnarly climb and, um, with guys like Pete Stetna, in the field who can just climb at six watts per kilo forever. I knew I had to go into that with a fair advantage and those long climbs, something I had been working on quite a bit. Cause I think that's been a weakness over the years and yeah, like um, comparing my 2019 times, I was quite a bit faster up double peak, um, which honestly that's something I was the most excited about through the day, just to like show that I'm progressing as a rider and um, to get the win too. It was even better. Just kind of icing on the cake.
0: Yeah, I think that does say a lot about how much you've progressed because it's not like you were sitting in the draft that whole day leading up to double peak as well. I imagine that you probably spent more time on the wheels if you finished third in 2019, even leading to double peak. So the fact that you're out solo for so long on that race day this year, and then you still finish stronger, it's got to be crazy confidence boost. And not only that, but you guys, you had guys chasing you. I think the Dutch mafia was coming hot, even toward the bottom of uh, double peak. Was it Jasper? Uh, that yeah, finished yes. second?
1: Jasper and Brendan Johnson. Um, yeah, I got away on the single track, and for the long time, they were just kind of sitting back there, at fifteen to twenty seconds. Um, so on that road segment in between the last single track and double peak, I do. I wasn't going all in at that point; just kind of riding like a hard tempo, knowing that they were gonna be chasing their brains out and would most likely make contact. So I didn't feel like it was worth putting in a huge effort to distance them if they were gonna be working together. Um, But just tried to make it hard for them to come back to me. And when they did come back to me, eventually um, they were both pretty dead. So um, pretty much just hit them with another attack right away. And neither of them were able to respond. Um, And from there, it was pretty much a solo effort to the finish again.
0: Dude, That was really smart because there's a ton of rolling road between the last single track and double peak that it would be really hard to hold off a group of two guys. So to let yourself almost recover enough to put a hard effort in as soon as they caught you, that's, that's amazing. So yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I was
1: just kind of use that section, focus on fueling, knowing what you have ahead, just like, all right, put all the gels you got left down, grab a Coke from the car, drink as much water as you can and be ready to go again. And um, I think it worked out pretty well for me.
0: Yeah, that is one thing I've noticed about the top gravel races, especially, I don't know if it's just BWR, I guess, but when I was at BWR Arizona, I was riding with the front women's group. I was riding with Sophia um, and Alexis and Anna, and they were getting some some hand-ups from the lead women's car. And that's happening at the front of the men's field. Is that just a BWR?
1: Yeah. I think that's kind of a BWR exclusive thing. I, um, yeah. at least none of the, I haven't done all the gravel races on the calendar, I guess, but all the ones I've done, um, none of them have support like that.
0: Right. I know that's a pretty cool way they treat it. I love those events. Uh, definitely wanted to get back to San Diego. You're getting me fired up for it right now. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. I
1: think BWRs are kind of my favorite type of gravel. It's oh, really? just, yeah. Cause yeah. They, they seem to put the most like single track and type of terrain that really tests you physically and um your skills like you got to have good skills at those races and i think it's cool to be an all-encompassing rider and bwr does a good job of showcasing that
0: it, it definitely does especially that arizona course i was there this year and i had an absolute blast you know my background's in mountain biking and the amount of time we spent on single track was so rad and it was yeah. fun it was, yeah,
1: it was single awesome. track
0: that you would actually want to ride on a gravel bike too it was so smooth
1: right exactly like it wouldn't be that much fun on a mountain bike. Like sure. It's okay. But those aren't the trails you really want to go ride. If you're going mountain biking, throw yourself on like 42 slick tires and go ride a drop bar bike. And it's a totally different beast out there.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Totally. So true, man. That is well said. Um, And I think that's the thing in California. It's hard to find single track that you don't just want a mountain bike for. So they've done a really good job putting those events together. And you mentioned before double peak that you were just slamming gels and I heard at your nutrition report after Unbound. Did you only slam gels at Unbound all day? Like, was it drink mix and gels only?
1: Uh, for the most part, yes. I'd say like 98% of my nutrition was through drink mix and gels. Um, but I like to, I call it putting a log on the fire, um, have some solid food here and there. Um, so I had two of the C30 um, energy bars out there. Um, just to, I don't know, one, you kind of want something a little different. And two, just to like kind of have some solid food to settle the stomach a little bit. Um, but yeah, that okay. was, that was really, I guess, 60 grams of my nutrition was through solid food. Um, other than that, all gels and drink mix.
0: So, two bars over the course of, and, and that makes me feel better, by the way, that you did take in some solid food because <laughs> I couldn't imagine a gut that could handle only liquids for what, what was your finishing time at Unbound? Was it in the eights? It was like eight hours, uh, something, nine hours.
1: I forget what our, t- um, I want yeah. to say we were actually like 10 hours. The front group, I think it was no, 10 hours uh,
0: this year. You're right. I'm sorry. It was, yeah, um, it was a little slower because of all that, all that mud. <laughs> what mud? Nobody talked about that. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, you just blank it out and it doesn't what exist you, anymore. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Dowd fam, coach Derek here, jumping in quickly to let you know about Dowdhelp.com. Your subscription for less than $20 a month gives you access to all of these strength training programs, individual workouts for both strength and mobility, and also coaching guidance with your nutrition that is available on the platform. In fact, we have a huge testimonial that we're going to be bringing to light very soon about Daniel Benjamin, Fam member who's lost over 60 pounds since November and has had an FTP bump. His before and after photos are incredible. He wrote a detailed testimonial about his journey that I think will resonate with a lot of fathers, with a lot of businessmen, with a lot of mothers, and people that are cycling enthusiasts that race and want to be as competitive and in their best shape possible. So stay tuned for that. Until then, go to dialedhealth.com, take advantage of the programs and workouts, and go to the nutrition tab where you can use the BMR calculator to find out exactly how many calories you need to both maintain and or go into a surplus or deficit depending on your goals. From there, you can use the Dialed Health Shred protocol and even refer to earlier podcast episodes like number 121 where I talk about the perfect cycling diet. And a huge thank you to the Dialed fam for all of the support. Now, let's dive back into the episode. That's so funny. Yeah. Um, no, that's really cool to hear. So two bars. So then when you roll out on a race like that, or most races, how specific are you about the fueling intake? Like, are you saying, okay, by hour number one, I will have down my first bottle and had a gel and then whatever, or are you basically throwing everything in your pockets? You have an understanding of what's there and kind of just pulling it as soon as you can throughout the day.
1: Um, so for a race, like unbound, um, since there's two aid stations, I kind of like break it into thirds really. Um, so you have start to aid one, aid one to aid two, aid two to the finish. And for each of those sections, I kind of come up with my own nutrition plan, um, to get to the next one. And, um, a couple of handy things I do is like on my Garmin, I set up a eat alert, um, Uh every 45 minutes. So I put a gel down every 45 minutes, um, And the water I'm not as like methodical about. I just try to pay attention to how much I've drank and how much more is left. Um, So really just like, that's just kind of going by feel. Um, Pretty much want to make sure you're rolling into the next aid station without any water, but you don't want to run out of water 30 miles from that aid station. So it's just kind of monitoring. Um, During the unbound training block, I pretty much just train as if I'm racing. So I'll have the pack on my back and the two bottles. And by doing that, you get really familiar with how the pack feels when it's halfway empty, when it's a quarter of the way full. And you can just kind of gauge how much to drink throughout the race by doing that. So I think that's pretty helpful.
0: That's a really good tip because it is hard with a pack to know how much you're actually drinking. Yeah, And exactly. so, you know, for myself, I don't really wear it on days where I would normally go out and ride. It's usually safe for race events, but I will question that because I have a tendency to drink a lot. And I know it's good to drink a lot, but it also you you have to conserve when you're in an event like Unbound.
1: Right, exactly. Like, I think this year the front group normally they don't stop at the water oasis between Aid One and Aid Two, but this year all of us stopped and grabbed water. So, um, yeah, it was just a lot hotter, needed more fluid.
0: <laughs> That's the funny thing about this year was that there was all the mud, which was the biggest. I think factor, but then it did get hot, and there was like a hundred miles almost between the aid station one and aid station two. Like they really gapped that out, uh-huh. so I'm not surprised that you guys stopped for water. I'm sure you were all looking at each other like, okay, we all need this. Yeah, <laughs> it was just
1: it was kind no. of a matter of like, all right, who's gonna say it first? We're stopping at the water oasis. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then once someone says that, everyone's like, yeah, okay, I'll stop too, and then yeah. <laughs>
0: That's all. That's awesome. And then there's the one guy that like I'm just doing it for you guys. I don't really need it. And they're just chugging water.
1: Right. Exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so now we're in this position where we're coming up to Leadville, and you've had some really successful races this year. Even Unbound, I believe you were were you fourth or fifth, top five?
1: Um, I was sixth, first guy off the
0: podium. <laughs> oh, sorry, I didn't so. mean to rub salt in the wound there. Yeah, it's all, all right. right. But, it's, it- I think you moved into maybe top five on the the lifetime Grand Prix there. You, you did some sort of podium there.
1: Uh yeah. Well I guess I was third that day in the Grand Prix podium and um uh, I'm sitting right now second in the Grand Prix behind Keegan.
0: Oh, dude, that's so awesome. And yeah. so coming into Leadville, you guys are really only uh in the middle of the Grand Prix season. Uh, How is preparation going for you with the altitude specifically? Um, Like, I want to know about that. And then also, how are you feeling? Are you noticing anything like you did before BWR where you're seeing 400 watts more? Uh, Is anything different? What's going on right now?
1: Yeah, so I guess um, my last race was Tusher, um, which was back in early June. And pretty much since then, um, I haven't had any races. So we've had almost basically two months to prep just for Leadville. Um, which isn't normal in our race season. Um, So it's been really nice just to kind of create this sort of calculated plan for Leadville with no interruptions. Um, So I basically have been doing one week at a pretty high altitude. Um, One of those weeks was in Crested Butte, camping at like 10,000 feet. And then I went back to Colorado Springs um, to recover and just get good sleep at like 6,000 feet. I'm currently up at my parents' cabin, which is like 20 minutes outside. Colorado Springs. It's at about 8,500 feet spending a week here. And then the week leading up to Leadville, I'll drop back down to Colorado Springs, um, just to make sure I'm fully recovered and adapted for Leadville. Um, so it's been pretty neat kind of following a bit of a different protocol, just kind of doing high, low, high, low, and riding at that high elevation when I'm up here.
0: Well, I feel like high, low is kind of a, like a understatement. You're going from really high to Pretty high, to, to still high, <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. is probably the best case scenario. And it's interesting to hear you do this because I want to say last year you did the opposite. You flew in super late for Leadville, right?
1: Right, and I'll I'll do that again this year. Like pretty much do my ride in Colorado Springs Friday morning, and then drive up in the afternoon. I'm lucky; it's only two two and a half hours away. Um, and for me, like I just find that when I'm able to sleep at 6,000 feet, I get a much deeper sleep. Um, I've been actually sleeping really good at altitude, but I just think it, your heart rates lower, it's stressing your body less overall. And, um, with all this work I've put in leading into Leadville, I think, um, it's not necessarily a huge advantage for me to be like up there the three days before, if anything, it just drains me. So coming in last minute. And I think that works pretty well for me.
0: So then do you not do any course recon?
1: Um, this year I won't actually, um, I've ridden the course five times over the last two years. Yeah. Um, and I've, I mean, I've camped a lot at twin lakes over the years. So I know that Columbine climb really well. Um, so I think like, a course, like Leadville, I'm okay with doing much recon, um, uh, kind of know what to expect
0: now. <laughs> yeah, it's, that, that makes sense. And you're talking to people who are already out there, you know, it's, it's really cool to hear that approach because. The truth is that as beneficial as altitude is for your body, it still is another training stress. And the fact that you're considering that and considering extra recovery from the high, high altitude is pretty cool. I haven't heard a lot of people talk about that.
1: Yeah, I think it's a little different than what a lot of guys are doing. Um, And it's sort of something that I've kind of created myself, I guess. And I've noticed Mm -hmm. this over the years. Like when when I go to Crested Butte and I camp for a week and then I come back home, I feel amazing. So it's like, why didn't I just cite it? I'm like, okay, well, I think I could use that as prep for Leadville, um, and follow that protocol. Um, so we'll see. It's this year is a bit of a test, um, and we'll see how it goes. I guess.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. So, it sounds like you're really introspective with your training, and you have a coach. And who's your new coach, by the way? Uh Jim Miller. Okay, so one of the most like renowned coaches from the, from the U.S. essentially. So. Right. You, the training has been working really well, but you're also looking back at how you've performed, even in like a camping trip, coming home from it and taking that in consideration. Are, are these discussions that you're having with Jim or do you just kind of throw in some notes for him to see like how much back and forth do you guys have when it comes down to your programming?
1: Yeah, no, that was definitely something we discussed. Um, we, I mean, we both thought it was really important to do some sort of altitude prep for Leadville. Um, And I ran that idea by him and um, he thought about it for a little bit and was like, yeah, that, that makes total sense. Let's, let's give it a go. Um, And you do see a lot of the world tour guys do something pretty similar. They'll kind of go just hang out on, I forget what that Island is, Tenerife or something. They'll just go hang out up there, do a lot of altitude training, go low for a little bit, go back up. So I think there, there is some protocol that's being used. Uh, It's just not really like, there's no data behind it, I guess, that I've seen at least, um, but other people are kind of doing something similar. So he's he was pretty on board with it and I think it'll work well.
0: I've noticed some pros talking about doing heat adaption training to compensate for a lack of, uh, I guess, accessibility to altitude. Have you messed with any heat adaption stuff? Because it seems to have like a similar response on the blood. Am I wrong about that? I really don't know much about it. Oh.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't know a ton either, but you are okay. right. I, a lot of people, if, if you can't be at altitude, they'll do a lot of sauna training or something like that. Um, and it, that's something I've never really toyed around with other than when I'm in Tucson training, it's really hot. I do, yeah. do sauna protocol a little bit and then occasionally we'll have a race like whiskey 50 where I don't have time to acclimatize for it. Um, and I guess in a way I'm taking that heat training and using it at whiskey 50. And I do think like, I would say I don't feel as good or the same when I've done that, I think for me, the best way to feel good at altitude is spend time at altitude, um, but I do know there's a lot of science behind it. And a lot of people are saying that it's just as effective. So, um, I think for some people it works. I just haven't toyed around with it enough.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Then I wonder, it's like, are people doing heat training at super high altitude as well? Like at what point are you just stressing your body too much? (laughs) Exactly.
1: There's kind of like the diminishing point of no return where you try, you try to do too much. Like you're, if you're going to go sleep at 14,000 feet or something, it's like, yeah, that's not actually very beneficial. So yeah, it's a fine line of, um, paying attention to your body, really making sure you're not stressing it too much and, um, getting that get actually getting a benefit from the stimulus you're giving it.
0: Yeah, so speaking of paying attention to your body, let's talk off the bike a little bit. Are you doing any strength protocol? Are you doing any stretching? I know that you mentioned, I was very flattered that you said this, that you've been watching some of my Instagram reels and and, and trying out some of the movements. Uh, Do you have any protocol around that? Like how much time are you spending that, like doing, how much time are you spending off the bike training?
1: Uh, Yeah, that's another thing I've introduced this year um, is I'm back in the gym doing weight training two days a week. Um, I did it back when I was racing cross country in 2016 and 2017. Um, and I found, I put on a lot of like upper body mass and, um, I didn't really feel, I didn't have a good experience in the gym, I'd say. Um, but I decided to give it a try again, because I do think there's a lot of benefit from it. Um, and I've been working with a strength, strength coach, um, art O'Connor, um, with Car Fit, And I think I kind of expressed my concerns to him and we built a program that I think worked really well. Um, we do still do some upper body stuff. Um, but a lot of it is more just leg focused and just trying to be explosive with when you have weights. And I do think I've seen a fair bit of benefit from that. Just in overall, like body durability is one thing. Um, but two, I think it's helped with my sprint a lot. I've noticed I'm doing on average, like when I do a peak sprint, like 150 to 200 Watts more. So I think that's a pretty good jump. And I think a lot of that comes from the weight training I've been doing.
0: Wow. That's really good feedback and art's an incredible coach. So I'm sure what you guys have come up with is, is very on point. The fact you're doing two days a week is great. And I wonder if you doing less intervals has allowed your body to adapt even better to the strength training uh, throughout the week.
1: Right. Have you thought about that at all? Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I think sort of what we were talking about earlier is if you give your body too much stimulus, it doesn't have time to respond and whatnot. And I think when I was doing a lot of like high intensity efforts for those XC world cups, um, you're kind of drained from that. Like, even though you do a VO two workout and it's in theory a lot shorter than a five hour ride or something, you like just the way VO two drains you, you get home and you're just like, Oh, you're exhausted from it differently than a five hour ride. And I think when you go to the gym, um, it, I didn't find it to be the most beneficial because of that, I think.
0: Yeah, it's funny how TSS kind of works like that. I was just talking to another coach about it. Yeah, one of your old coaches, actually Colby. And we were discussing um, some TSS in regards to what even a heavy deadlift can do, because it might not even spike your heart rate past zone two, but the physiological damage it does uh, can really stick with you for a couple of days and affect your performance. And it's funny because a VO two work that's shorter, may not have the same TSS as like a long volume day at a lower intensity. But then you look at the TSS score and you're like, wait, I shouldn't feel this bad, but it is true that just high intensity in general, it drains, it zaps you a different way.
1: Right. For sure. I don't, yeah, it's like, I don't think you can use TSS as like the end all metric for work. I think, I mean, you look at a mountain bike ride, you go ride your mountain bike for five or even three hours, and that's going to destroy you way more than a three hour road ride just because it's like, you're just kind of getting pounded from the terrain. But the TSS in training peaks is going to be a lot less, even though it feels like it's a harder workout. So I think that, yeah, you can't really use TSS as kind of the end all be all metric. Um, Still got to go back to the old school way and pay attention to your body and just see how tired you feel after a certain workout or whatnot.
0: I love it. I couldn't agree more. And I really want to thank you for coming on the podcast and dropping so much knowledge, dude. It's been really excited to see your season and look forward to getting to know you more and, uh, just know the whole doubt fam's cheering for you, man, at Leadville. Awesome. <laughs> so have an awesome race and hopefully we can catch up with you after. Is there anything, uh, you want to shout out, you know, where can people go and find you?
1: Um, yeah, I guess probably the best place to follow me would be on Instagram. Uh, my handle there is Finsty F I N S T Y. Um, I also post a lot of my training over on Strava. Um, so those are probably the two best places to see what I'm up to.
0: Perfect. I love it. And I think we should probably leave the people with a motivational quote straight from yourself. It's that my body <laughs> is a garbage can, not a garbage can Right. I think <laughs> inspiration.
1: Yep. <laughs>
0: so, all right. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Well, thanks man. so Have much for going.
1: having me on. And um, we'll see you at Leadville.
0: I won't be there, but I'll probably see you later this season.
1: Awesome. Sounds good. Well, thanks again for having me on.
0: No problem, man. Thank you. I hope you guys loved that conversation with Russell. If anything, I'm sure it got you fired up to follow Leadville or to race Leadville in the upcoming week. Huge shout-out to all the Dodd Fan members, especially Lance Hayden, our sponsored athlete, who will be out there coming back full swing after injury. So really looking forward to seeing how the race plays out for everyone. And now I want to announce – what I'm doing the upcoming month of September. This is something that has taken me a long time to actually commit to because it's along the lines of the Everesting endeavors I've done in the past. You know, for the last two years, I've done one big riding project. It started with the Trail Bike Everest in 2021. And then actually a few months after that, I did on my road bike, just a single Everest, Uh, which was still extremely difficult but i knew later that year i really wanted to commit to something that felt crazy for me and that's where all the double ever stuff came to came about it was a thirty thousand foot climbing pr it was on one of the gnarliest roads you could probably think about doing it on Uh, that's somewhat safe but even in hindsight i think it was pretty dang dangerous and everything went extremely well and we pulled it off but even though it's the thing I'm probably the most proud of ever in regards to riding or just like a physical feat, I have really had to get over it. You know, it. it I don't want to say it scarred me, but up until very recently, just thinking about the Double Everest, it kind of hurt. I I don't know how else to say it, but when I really thought about the day and what I did, it felt like I could feel pain. And I'm not trying to be dramatic, but it literally left a mark on me like that. And I don't know any other way to describe it. And that's why I think it's so insane what uh, Tyler, the vegan cyclist, has been doing. Just back-to-back monster days, you know, over 24 hours, even committing to a second ultra endurance national champs, like all of these things, they're so hard. And I think people, when they really look at the details, get they they can start to f- understand how hard it is, but... There's a lot of buzz in ultra endurance right now. And I think me doing the double Everest was the closest thing I've come to doing an ultra endurance, like Endeavor. You know, it took me elapsed more than 24 hours, uh, no sleep, and it was pure focus and pushing on the pedals for that amount of time. Like I literally <laughs> was on a hill with a 10% average gradient for 24 plus hours. So it was, it was gnarly. And like I said, it's just taken until now to get to a point where I feel like I'm ready to push myself to that level again, or somewhere in that ballpark, because I truly don't believe there's anything that's going to top that, that I'm going to do, because even if I go longer, there's probably going to be sleep involved. There's going to be other variables that maybe bring down the intensity. So my goal looking at this year wasn't to try and just top it or make it harder The goal is to do something I was genuinely excited about and actually wanted to do. Like I I really didn't want to go into this route of like trying to one-up everything. So I'm like, okay, literally what is something gnarly, like 24-hour ballpark that I'd want to do that I haven't done before? And the first thing that came to mind was ride 300 miles because I've never ridden 300 miles. I've done multiple doubles at this point. Um, I've done multiple styles of Everest at this point. But I was like, you know, I would love to ride just 300 miles. The only thing is, I really don't have a personal interest in just riding a flat 300 miles. You know, maybe in the future I'll do something like that. Like actually, shout out to my buddy Justin who just did the agony ride. He rode 300 and I don't know 48 miles or something like that. And over the course of that 24 hours, only climbed a thousand feet, which I think it, I didn't even know that would be physically possible. But uh, shout out to him because he raised a ton of money. Uh, but at the same time for, for a really great cause and, uh, we, we sponsored them for that as well. But, uh, I, I don't see that as something I want to do in the meantime. And I'm like, I want to do some climbing stuff. I love to climb. I love to descend. And so then I thought, well, one route I've really wanted to do is from my house up and around Lake Tahoe. And if you don't know, I live in the Valley right at the base of the foothills that lead up to Lake Tahoe on the West side. And so if you drive to Lake Tahoe for me to get to the actual lake from my doorstep, it's like an hour and a half drive. I think it's, I don't know, is it 90 miles or something like that? It's pretty far. So I knew that committing to a ride around Lake Tahoe, I'm like, dude, that would probably be like 300 miles and it'd be extremely epic and something at least for the locals that they would have some pride in. You know, I'd be excited to tell people about that. This is one of those things. I'm like, I can't wait to tell my kids about the day I rode up and around Lake Tahoe from the valley, the Sacramento Valley. And so that is something that's really cool to me, and I'm like, well, that kind of ticks two boxes there. And I'm like, you know, there's something else I've been wanting to do along the lines of Everesting that I've heard of people doing, and it's Everest Rome. And that is Everesting and climbing the equivalent of Mount Everest, 29,032 vertical feet, without repeating the same climb. So you go the same vert as you would in Everest, but you do it in like the opposite way. So it could, I think, it could be an out and back, but I, or like, oh no, it can't be an out and back. I think it has to be a point to point or a loop. And so I'm like, well, I could, I could Everest roam, I could ride around Lake Tahoe, and I could ride 300 miles all at the same time. And so who the heck could build this route for me? And so. Funny enough, I ended up at a race earlier this year where I was talking to my buddy, Tony uh, Marengo. And his dad owns like a legendary bike shop in my area, Bike Emporium. I grew up going to it. They were the only place that had the highest in downhill bikes and road bikes. Super cool to go. And so it's funny how full circle this has come because I was talking with Tony and he was telling me about all these routes he's been doing and building. And I was like, wow, I just had this idea and I wonder if you could build it for me. Well, he turned it around the next day, had multiple options for me, and we basically ended up with a route that achieves all three of those things, in Everest, Rome, riding around Lake Tahoe from my house, from the Sacramento Valley, and going over 300 miles. So the totals on this route, the number one option I think I'm going to go to, and, and funny enough, we have a second and third option, and the totals are actually freakishly similar. But the one I'm really leaning toward right now is 321 miles with 30,133 feet of climbing. And Ostrava is telling me it's going to take 16 hours. I think it's going to be a 24-day. <laughs> I think it's going to be a 24-hour day. I'm not sure how we're going to do the logistics, logistics of it right now. But the goal is going to be to build a story around doing something epic from home because that's truly kind of... What it is, it's going to be self-supported. I want to make sure that's a thing. We have to document it if we're going to have a, a follow car. But I want it to be self-supported and from my front door, so that someone can be inspired to do something similar themselves. You know, this is one of those dream routes that I would probably talk about for the rest of my life. And funny to flash back to the Y rides that we started. This is kind of like a Y ride uh, mentality. But the, the problem with those Y rides is that they weren't hard enough to to be worth it. And like, this is, (laughs) so I don't think we're going to brand it that way. Um, I think I've gone overboard on branding things individually in the past. So we're going to focus on building some good content around this, but really building the story to inspire people to do something gnarly from the front door, to do something that they've been wanting to do. Like everyone has that big loop that they've thought about that they haven't really done yet. And I want to inspire people to go out and do that and hopefully safely. (laughs) And so that is the big goal of this whole thing. I don't want to do a crazy premiere. I don't want to again overspend. Uh I just want it to be great content to get the dial fam community fired up. And also on a personal level, this is something I just I feel like I need to go do as a as a cyclist and as someone who wants to build my own story, you know. So this is it. Uh we're going to bust it out probably the week of September 18th through the 22nd is what I'm looking at ballpark. Uh, we pick those dates for a few reasons. For one, it gives me six weeks to do some bigger rides to train for it properly. You know, I have a really good base. I train and ride year round. My schedule doesn't change very much, but like unbound, I will get more specific for an event when the time allows. And so I'm going to do some specific training rides leading up to this. And I want to make sure I document that for you guys and talk about exactly what I'm doing. We're actually going to have the route planner, Tony, talk about the route and why we're going the way that we are, because it is 100% legal, but there's some crazy parts of it. I mean, from getting on the freeway at one point to going up Mount Rose from Lake Tahoe to going through South Lake, it's going to be one of the most scenic things ever. In fact, when you see the ride profile, it looks like a freaking castle. And when you look at the actual size of the ride and you see that, oh, we go from sea level over 8,000 feet, avert. Uh, or over 8,000 feet of actual elevation gain um, or elevation itself. How do I say that? We're doing 30,000 feet of elevation gain for the ride, but we're going to start at sea level and we're going to go over 8K Uh, almost twice. I think, no, we do go over 8K, three times. I'm looking at the route in front of me. This is going to be so heavy. Uh, The weather swings are going to be wild. The potential for heat is going to be, I think, a big factor. Hopefully we can stay smoke-free. And those are the things we're working with. So I will give you guys more details as I get to it. But literally, this is the first official announcement. When we confirm the route 100%, I'll be actually posting it for you guys because my goal is to try and do this route with as many people as possible. I have friends all over this loop, and I would love to be able to link up with them throughout the day, keep the morale high, and let people ride as long as they want and just get a good crew, like make it a little bit more of a community thing as well. And uh, I think it would just be super fun. I mean, <laughs> I can honestly say I'm, I'm excited for this. I think that the fact that we're not going up and down the same climb gets me excited. <laughs> uh, and the epicness and the, the I, I'm thinking about the feeling of it afterward. I mean, I want to be in the moment with this, but I know I'm going to have to go so deep and, and carve out a new part of the pain cave for this one. So I think uh, having the people alongside me is going to make a big difference, especially as we go from city to city, <laughs> and county to county, <laughs> and state to state. Dude, we go in, in the deep in Nevada on this one, so yeah, it's uh, man, this is going to be insane. Um, hope you guys are stoked on it. Let me know uh, any content that you want to know around it. I know that nutrition is going to be huge. Uh, I think. The fueling thing is typically the biggest recommendation. But when it comes to my own training plan, I won't hold back as well. I'll tell you, off the top of my head, I know I need to get a little bit lighter. I'm going to lose some excess body fat. And so that's going to require food tracking from now until then. I'm going to be putting in some some big days uh, in preparation. I need to probably get at least one or two, you know, 10-plus-hour days in. And other than that, it's going to be focusing on staying as healthy as possible. So get lighter, put in some big days, and just stay healthy and just make myself as durable as I can. I mean, truthfully, that's the way I live. I live for durability. That's like my number one goal. So I think I just need to try and maintain what I'm doing now, add this volume, decrease the weight, and do it without injury, and I think I'll be ready to go. So uh, that's it. Thank you guys for joining me on this episode of the podcast. I hope you absolutely loved it. Please share it. Please leave us a review. This does make a huge difference. But really, the most important thing you can do to support Dialed Health is to go to dialedhealth.com and get yourself a membership. That is what funds everything at this point, with the exception of some brand partnerships. Uh, And dude, I got some exciting news there, too. You guys, there is so much stuff moving behind the scenes right now. I feel like I told my wife. I feel like I'm sitting behind this chessboard right now and I'm just making all these moves and I'm just getting people ready to do my, to do my one checkmate, you know, (laughs) and it's not going to be one. It's not definitely how it works, but it just feels like there's so much organization going on behind the scenes for a successful 24. And this is definitely going to be one of those things. Um, Gosh, I, I don't, I can't even crack the can on that because I'll go too far into it. But basically go to dialhealth.com, get yourself a membership there. Start strength training, get the results from it, and um, that's it, guys. Thanks so much for the support. We'll see you next time. Until then, start moving forward.